0: your sweet perfume This week on Dig Me Out I,
1: I think for the most part the material on this record is is fine. I, I do have a lot of problems with the production choices. Tim and Jay Review Hymns by Corey Glover
0: It seems we-
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minucci, and joining me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it is episode 194 of season 4. We've just wrapped up week 3 of the NFL season and we have both returned to Earth uh, after wins the previous week uh, that were significant. Uh, are you feeling a bit more grounded? now or <laughs> uh,
1: yeah that's one way to put it yeah uh, I try not to let myself get too high so
2: I know the feeling I figured I this, I figured this was either going to be a this is going to be a blowout either way for the Bills I thought either they're going to come out and they were just going to steamroll San Diego who is was driving you know going from a, a big win on the west coast to have to travel east and play a one o'clock game Either San Diego would just collapse and play play like crap, or they would just pound the Bills, and which they basically just pounded the Bills today. So it was not as close as the score indicated. Chicago, uh, the Chargers had the ball much large, much longer, and um, with a much more significant drives than the Bills had. So back to earth, back to earth after the two zero start, where we belong. Where we yes, exactly. What were we, we should thinking? we 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 should not get uh, ahead of ourselves and start planning uh Super Bowl parties. Let's just put it Super that
1: way. Super Bowl. I think we are we are planning like being just slightly below 500 and being happy about it. Like, ooh, we might get to we could get to seven wins this year.
2: Here's the thing is that they've had plenty of like 4 and 1 and 4 and 0 oh starts in the last 15 years. Yeah. But then they end seven and nine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they've had one eight and eight season in the last fifteen years, and that's it. That's the best they've done. So, yeah, I would just like a wild card party. I just like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I would just like meaningful football at the end of the year. Right. That's being played by my team. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Just play, lots of meaningful I football. I don't it's ask just... for much. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, transitioning awkwardly out of football talk into our uh, album for the week. We are going to go back to 1998, and we're going to check out the debut solo release of Corey Glover from the band Living Color. They have a new album scheduled to come out this fall, and as we have been doing so, uh, we've been checking out releases by bands or artists who have... Uh, you know, new stuff coming out, and in this case, um, you know we did uh, Ryan Adams. We we did the Whiskeytown album, and we did uh, Mike Doherty. We did the Soul Coughing record. Well, this time we're doing the inverse. We're doing a solo record, and the band's putting out a new album. And uh, we're it's uh, called Hymns. It's from 1998. And Jay, I believe that you are familiar with this record because you're the one who introduced me to it way back in the day. I did. Yeah. Uh so I know I it,
1: owned it, but I didn't realize it was uh, pushing it on other people.
2: Well, I wasn't really I only knew Living Color in in like the singles sense. I didn't know their albums. And I think this came out while we were in college. Uh and I think the impetus for you giving it to me was that I was playing keyboards in the band we were in. Mm-hmm. And I think you were like, you needed like make it sound like this. Here, listen to this album. <laughs> really? And I had like a the cheapest Casio like right. Radio Shack keyboard. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if I have the Hammond or B three organ <laughs> setting on this, but I'll I'll take a listen. Yeah, I think that's where it came from. Was yeah. I think you gave me some some albums to listen to because you uh, I'm pretty sure that I didn't listen to Brad until you. Gave me, um, you or Keith gave me shame, and then I got, and then I think it was that was when Interiors came out, uh, it was ninety seven, I think, yeah, okay. so, yeah, that, this was one of uh, one of your suggestions. So and I remember listening to it back then, but I don't remember really revisiting it uh, post college. So this is a good opportunity to go back and listen to this record. We got, and we'll get into it, I think this is a bit of a shock for some people. I don't think uh, people knew that Corey Glover had a solo record out in the 90s. So uh, we should do some history of Corey Glover.
0: History of the
2: band Uh, Corey uh, Corey Glover was born in Brooklyn, New York in uh, November... Uh, of 1964, November 6th. He was an aspiring actor uh, who had uh, pr- who'd been in, um, had a part in uh, Platoon, the Oliver Stone movie, and he was on a short-lived television series called Signs of Life. And he was at a birthday party, and he was singing Happy Birthday, and also at that birthday party was Vernon Reed. And Vernon Reed said, um, I, need, I need you to join my band. I I don't know if it was that simple, or if he said, why don't you come audition, or what the story was. So this is uh, 1985, and three years later, the first Living Color album, Vivid, was released. Uh, They would release two more, uh, Time's Up in 1990 and Stain in 1993, before the band disbanded in 1995. They were unable to um, settle on a direction for the, the fourth album, so they decided to split up. A couple of tracks were recorded... And they were released on a compilation album called Pride. So, in 1995, Corey Glover started to to work on his solo record, but it would not be released until 1998. In 2000, uh, Living Color performed at CBGB's in New York. It was under a different name, uh, but they had a reunion and stayed together and released in 2003... Their actual fourth album, um, Kaleidoscope. Uh, the Bay went on hiatus in uh, 2006 when Corey Glover took the role of Ju- Judas Iscariot in the national touring company of Jesus Christ Superstar. And he did that for two years. Um, and then rejoined Living Color. And they, a year later, would release their fifth album, The Chair in the Doorway. And then in 2012, Glover uh, set up a Pledge Music project. And um, to fund his second solo record, and that was called The Pledge. It was released in November of 2012. And as I mentioned earlier, Living Color has a new record out this fall. I don't have an exact date on it yet, but it says this fall. It's called Shade. And um, that's the history of both Living Color and Corey Glover. If you have an album you would like to suggest... For us to review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com So I mentioned we got some Facebook feedback on this record. Um, Sean Michael Foster says, intrigued. It's a one word comment. Hmm. And Scott Russell Hallgrim, I see what you did there, reversing the band solo artist new release pattern. Yes, that's exactly what we did. So Jay. um, Corey Glover, Known for being the frontman of Living Color. It had w- probably one of the biggest singles of the 90s in Cult of Personality. I mean, that song, there was the video, the single still gets played on, I hear it on Sirius all the time, on uh, rock radio. And they were a band, they were kind of a weird band in that they were kind of alternative but kind of metal at the same time, so they were kind of in two different camps, hmm. would you say? Yeah. I think there weren't a lot of
1: camps, actually. But yeah, those were probably the two uh, they were marketed towards the most, which at that time was a little confusing.
2: Right. So let me ask you then, when you uh, got this record and then revisiting it now, was hmm. it even more confusing based on what the different territories that Corey Glover covers? Uh,
1: not really. It wasn't, it wasn't confusing to me. I mean, I, I think I got what they were, what he was trying to do, what they were trying to do uh, with this record. It wasn't as, it didn't end up being as, when I really dissected it, it didn't end up being as diverse as maybe what I thought it was going to be, or maybe on the surface it is.
2: So let's talk about um what we liked and what we didn't like mm-hmm. about this record. I'll go first. I'll throw, I'll throw my, Two cents in first uh, about what I liked. Uh, I like the uh, the approach to some, I guess you'd say, some classic R and B and soul sounds. Um, he updates them a bit while staying true to a lot of the a lot of the artists from the '60s and '70s. I mean, you hear the Al Green in a song like "Little Girl," you hear the the Stevie Wonder and Sly Stone in a a song like Things Are Getting In The Way. But he adds modern touches, modern for 1998, with um, you know more electric guitars, and it's, it's definitely. Um, I wouldn't say this isn't like a an homage throwback record. I mean, it's still steeped in 90s production of of a lot of R and B from that time. Uh, I'm thinking of like D'Angelo or Babyface or um, some of the neo soul artists from that era. Um, and he does a good job of... The thing that I was worried about, um, there's an artist that has, I don't think has aged well in terms of his output, and that's Lenny Kravitz. Um, I think a few songs have stood the test of time, but overall I've gone back and revisited Lenny Kravitz's like catalog over the last couple years, and I find myself being really kind of turned off to a lot of it. Hmm. And I think because it sounds... I, I hear it sounding more and more derivative of the, of his influences. Mm. Um, and I think when I listened to this record, I was, I was worried when I went back that it was gonna be like, Oh, this is just a Lenny Kravitz, you know, wannabe record, but it's really not. He does do a lot of, he, he touches on uh, R and B and soul in a much more, I think, um, naturalistic way and, and much more, uh, organic way. Uh, I'm thinking of like a song like uh, like sermon, that could easily like, that could be easily a a James Brown homage. But then there's that like there's a really ripping guitar part in that song, um, which would not have been uh, in a James Brown track. Mm. Um, but you know he t- he takes that sort of energy. I think th- one of the things that uh, really works for me on a song like that, and then the track two do you first, do you first and then do myself is there's an energy that incorporates some of that living color but brings the r&b and soul element into it that um was not as present with that band There's that, there's that fine line between paying homage to your influences and then straight ripping them off. And I feel like he's paying homage more than ripping them off.
1: It's interesting. I do agree um, for the most part with what you're saying, except that I guess as I listened to the record, I wish he would, I was hoping he would, uh, or wishing he would have done uh, more to the material to make it unique, and I think that's where you get in the slippery slope of I think what you're describing. Like that's probably how Lenny Kravitz approaches it, and it turns into like a derivative. Like you're you're kind of harvesting, right? And you're
2: mm-hmm.
1: trying to make it different, but you can still hear the where you took it from. I think there's a you know there's better ways to do that. There's more successful ways to do that. Um, I struggled with, on this record with um, just how true it is uh, to Soul at times and to the artist that he's obviously kind of paying tribute to, I guess. Um, which, in, in, in a way, he, he completely pulls it off. Like, it sounds totally, he's got a great band, you know, mm-hmm. his voice works great for that style. I mean, he's he's a really good soul singer. Like, he totally can pull it off. It's just one of those things where it it makes me want to go and listen to the original artists. You know, like, so I respect it on some degree. Like, he gets it; he knows how to execute it. Um, You can tell he genuinely loves it. Um, But at the same point, it's so close to the originals. It just makes me want to listen to the originals. Um, So I was more drawn to the stuff that simplified things a little bit more Mm -hmm. um i i i think for the most part the material on this record is is fine i I do have a lot of problems with the production choices uh the arrangements um it's very it's very slick i mean tons of strings all over everything um way too many the mix is very vocal heavy which obviously for being a solo record, I guess that, you know, that makes sense. Um, And you do appreciate his voice on the record, but it's at the cost of sometimes when they do try to do something a little bit more rock-oriented or closer to living color, and they bring that guitar in, it's almost like they're fighting having the guitar in there, you know? Like it's distant, it's far away and, and hollow sounding, and it sounds separate from uh the rest of the music in some in some cases like um yeah i think it's sermon where it's got a you know pretty good riff through the whole thing like the the um the organ in the song is way louder than the guitar is mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy um so i'm kind of i was drawn to the ones like uh silence i, I thought was a really 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 good song
2: yeah um, Great crescendo. That that song really like earns the crescendo. Where right? like some of the other songs, they just it just crescendos because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and it's supposed to have the big you know choral backing and stuff like that. But that song really builds to it in a real natural way, and it sounds it's it's one of the few songs that has um an acoustic guitar. Yes, and that really really helps. I
1: love the simplicity of the whole first sequence of that song, like the full first section.
0: Questions third degree. It's not acceptance, no, it's not defiance. It's silence. It's a silence.
1: I love the just him and acoustic guitar, and there's a little tiny bit of piano in there, and that's really it. Um, I wish the record did more of that. I wish it got it just stripped things down um, a bit more. Like um, uh, Sidewalk Angel is another one that it simplifies a little bit uh, in terms of it's really based on just a a really uh, tight groove, um, a really good bass line. Really good drum beat. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't have a hook. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the production technique in that one and sort of the things they're focusing on. Um, there was a, another one that's really bluesy. Uh, one was a song that um, the strings are just ridiculous. <laughs>
2: it has a great organ sound on that song.
1: Yeah, and you're like, and you can tell in silence they use the organ to do what the strings would do, and. I wish in that song they would do, would have done the same thing. Like just let the organ do the string part and just keep it simple, you know, and the songs that are bluesier, like strip them down almost. I would love to hear some of those even just done, uh, you know, him in an acoustic and kind of not it, it, more, I guess, closer to like, you know, old school blues than um like a muddy waters kind of thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, than a, you know, an overproduced nineties style soul thing. Like I think it's a only time will tell. I mean, that sounds like an R
2: Kelly song for God's sake. That's the weak Uh, point on the album to me. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the, that's the lowest the album goes.
1: The, the strings are ridiculous. The, just the production is, it's just so generic over the top, like late mid nineties, R and B. Um, and I, th- but the, I think that that song is actually a good song. Like, it's just
2: over the top. Yeah.
1: I can't, I, you know, it's so hard for me to even get through it now um, and, and evaluate it. But I, I, I was able to, you know, just listen to that chorus, and it's a quality chorus. It's a well written song. It's just, it's generic sounding. And I mm-hmm. think that's the part that I think disappointed me most on this record is that, um, there are some quality songs in here. There's quality performances, but, you know, in all, it's f- pretty generic sounding. And that's love or hate living color. One thing you cannot say is that they sound generic. I mean, no. There was no other band that sounded like them. So I wish he could have brought that element to, to his solo record because I, I think the material here really could have um, benefited from it.
2: You mentioned the the, the, the backing band. I think the. The keyboard player or players are really one of the the key ingredients because mm. like you mentioned on sidewalk and uh, that's on one that has a great organ sound the on hot buttered soul has that really cool electric piano sound i mean it's just when it when it's done right it the the keyboards really make a lot of these tracks they've you know whether it's hammond Or like a Fender Rhodes. I mean, there's all sorts of cool vintage sounding keyboard parts, and then they, you know, layer it with that way over the top string part, and you're like, oh, this is this is too much. Um, One of the tracks that I liked a lot, uh, musically speaking, is um, Mm. "Lowball Express." Uh, Just that that groove and that like bass riff that goes on in that song during the verse, and I think it's paired with like a saxophone. you know what I'm talking about, Jay? Mm-hmm. Is that to me is like one of the coolest, just the coolest sounds on the record. Is that that bass tone um, matched up with that sax part? Um,
1: Are you talking about the chorus? Yeah. 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 And that's a great, uh, like vocally, that's not a great chorus, but musically, that mm-hmm. just that groove is so cool. And that's a, when I, one of the things I thought about as I listened to this, and I've talked about this from time to time, like what kind of funk or, you know, that I like and don't like. And this album is a great example of the drummer doing that style of music. But um, I guess it obviously is a more um, soul tinge and just creating great, great grooves. I mean, the tempos are right. Um, the kick, it's all about the kick drum, um, really cool fills, just really locked together with the bass. The bass playing this album is pretty complex. Um, I don't know if you listen to the bass on any of the songs, but it's, um, it's really good, but it's, uh, you know, high, high, high quality studio bass player guy, like
2: a lot of notes
1: but, it, but it works. Like it sounds, <clears throat> it doesn't sound overdone. Um, it, it fit in the, in a locks really good with the bass and it sounds, sounds that part of it sounds gritty. Like I, I, in terms of my generic comment, like I think the, the core bed of the music is, sounds gritty and authentic and really, really good. It's just covered up and mixed in such a weird way. It's hard to appreciate it sometimes um so those times when it does strip down you can just focus on it it's um i I really appreciate that
2: yeah i wish that this i wish he had taken i don't know maybe he did you know taking this band out on the road i would have just liked to have heard it like guitar drums bass and a keyboard player with him singing like get rid of the backup singers have the band do the singing get rid of the schmaltzy um over the top strings just you know, put on a dirty, loud live show with this band, and I bet they would have been absolutely yeah. cooking with the, with the stuff that they're doing. The the like you said, the bass players obviously super talented. Um, he's carrying a lot of this st- of the melody of a lot of the stuff when mm-hmm. Corey Glover's kind of doing a lot of uh, um, s- embellishments with the vocals. Um, and the keyboard player is adding a lot of times the, the dirty element to it with, the, with sometimes just a little bit of fuzz or, or dirt on the on the keyboards. And that sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the one song that I, I felt like he did kind of push the homage uh, aspect a little too far was in uh, Things Are Getting In The Way. The, mm-hmm. the horn riff in that song sounds mm-hmm. like it, it is straight off of a Stevie Wonder song. Like it yeah. sounds like it's Officer of Duke or something like that. Yeah, did you pick up on that?
1: Uh, it all that that whole four uh, four through six little girl hopper soul and things are getting in the way. I just I had a hard time with that whole section. Like I started off with is everything sounded too familiar to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean I had all the same artists you had mentioned too. Um, so it's you to hear like a part like, Oh, that sounds like the Stevie wonder part. And oh that sounds like a Marvin Gaye part. And Oh, that's he's singing like, I think on all three songs, he's pretty much singing like Al Green. Um, he even does like a little bit of the, I don't know. Al Green has like a, it's not a list, but it's a little bit of a kind of way he pronounces things like that. <laughs> <that'll,
2: that'll laughs> <little laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. He even does that. Yeah. He especially like, on little better. girl, little yeah. girl is the, is the, the, Most vocally, it's the one where he sounds the most like Al Green. getting in the way he kind of there's there's a little bit of sly stone mixed with stevie wonder in his in his vocal more more the the music is more stevie but the the vocal is more sly um hot Butter soul actually i really like that that track i think that's the one where he's able to uh incorporate these sort of traditional r&b song r&b sounds without i didn't listen to that song this is blatantly a Marvin Gaye song or this is blatantly a um you know El Green song in the way that he was singing per se. And I think that that's another one that has the great electric piano song sound on it. In terms of uh, the the two up tempo tracks um, specifically do you first and do myself in the, in the context of the whole record do you kind of feel like it's an oddball because it starts out the album and I'm sure if you're a Living Color fan and you've been listening to Living Color, you know, since the first album, you're probably like, "Oh, okay, this is what I expect from a Corey Glover solo record," and then you don't ever get that again. Well, you get it again on um, um, "Sermon." Well, you get it in but... "Sermon," but it's kind of a hopped-up, like, yeah, you know, but up-tempo uh, R&B yeah. song.
1: Sure. Uh, two things uh about it that made more sense to me now one the production wise like you can tell whoever mixed this got these tracks and was like bummed that he even had to put the guitar on <laughs> <It> was like <laughs> oh really like all right i guess i have to put it in here so it's it's so vocal heavy and so about all the other the backup vocals and everything else that um the guitar part is kind of it's not like in your face, like living color is right. Um, so that part kind of, that the production of it softens it, uh, in terms of the rest of the record. And then lyrically it's, I think it's very much on par with the rest of the record, like very v- much more than what he would sing in a, in living color. Like it's, it's kind of lyrically, it's kind of a soul song just over a rock, you know, a rock format. In, in gotcha. terms of You know, subject matter and what he's saying. So that part of it made it work on the record for me. Um, obviously I, w- I would like more stuff like that and have it be produced like a real rock record and then have a re- a, the rest of the songs be a little bit more stripped down. Um, they don't have to be rocked up just like, um, simpler, less production. Mm-hmm. And I think it all would have, uh, worked together a lot better, but, uh, Yeah, I mean, they weren't – I think at the time, they probably seemed stranger than they do now for some reason. It it sort of makes sense now. Especially from like a a corporate marketing perspective, I can see what they were trying to manufacture with him. You know what I mean? Like there was that new soul thing happening that you mentioned with like Maxwell and D'Angelo and all that. And they were probably looking at like, oh, this guy's been in a rock band. He wants to do a solo thing. He's in a soul. Like we can make him into one of those artists and we'll bridge the gap, you know, with his old fans by including a couple rock songs on here. Right. You know? like, it seems very calculated and um, engineered and uh, thinking about it that way. It, uh, I, I can see what they were thinking. Unfortunately, that was a terrible idea to, to approach it that way.
2: Yeah, I don't know who uh, this album came out in '98. I mentioned earlier, I don't know who this was going to exactly sell to, um, because you know he has a long history in, of being in a. Uh, I guess is is funk metal? Is that the proper? Uh, mm. Were they a funk metal band like Extreme?
1: No, uh, no, I've never heard of them referred to that way. So just I mean, yeah, both band. those bands had had I guess funk elements, but. Uh, we should do their third album, Stain, sometime. Because uh, it's pre- I remember it being pretty different. And they do, there are strings on that record, but all the strings are played by Brennan Reed on guitar. So it's a really, I remember it being a very dark and different sounding record than the hmm. most other stuff. But um
2: he so have one of those emulator pedals that like makes it sound like your guitars um, are...
1: he had like a Roland pickup on his guitar okay so he would it was you know he'd turn everything into midi and he could play like string parts and stuff on the guitar but when you do that you can make it sound pretty pretty crazy so i just remember that record being very unique sounding and not particularly funk oriented i think the second record is probably the funkiest and then the first is a mix of kind of riffs and then um, I guess kind of some funk elements, but uh, I n- I never really heard them categorized that way.
2: Well, well how about alternative metal? Is that a better? I guess
1: what would you call the Chili Peppers?
2: They are, um, I I guess they would have started out as kind of funk metal or funk rock or alternative funk. I don't I don't know.
1: That's because they one. would write songs that. Uh, wouldn't have a funk element at all sometimes you know right right so which i eventually the chili peppers did that like this decade but i don't know i feel like all their stuff in the 90s and before them always had a funk element to it but anyway what was our point
2: the point was i don't i don't know who this record was going to sell to yeah, in 1998 no. yeah you know, was it going to cross over into the R and B market? Was it going to was yeah. it going to was the old fans going to want to listen to this? It just I seems like it, such a con like a, a conflicted record yeah, for the yeah. time.
1: It's one of those things where you know, music business guy on paper thinks it looks great, but in reality, it doesn't work for anybody. Um, they were probably going to try, they were probably trying to break him to R and B radio as a new artist. And then thinking they they could get some sales just based on his name as, you know, Living Colors fan base. They could get some of those folks to to buy the record like me, (laughs) which I did. And uh, I'm sure they did the math on all that and thought, oh, well, okay, you know, this will sell good if we can make all this work. Well, it doesn't work. As you're saying, it does. It kind of doesn't appeal to anybody except weirdos like me. So, (laughs) you know.
2: Yeah, I know. I understand.
1: It's kind of like when uh, Steve Jobs, I think, talked about the – when they did the original iPad and they were talking about all the tablets that had come before that. And, like, essentially, like, on paper, it all sounds great until you go to use it and you realize, like, as a computer, it's horrible (laughs) because it it just – you know, it compromises everything good about a computer. And then as a tablet, it compromises everything you'd want as a tablet. So it's kind of like the best of no worlds. Right. I think it's the same thing we in music when you try to over engineer it that way.
2: That was the um that was the also the uh the name of uh Van Halen's uh scratched uh, <laughs> greatest hits, best of no, no worlds. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the worst.
2: Yeah. That was that was the Gary Sharon only uh <laughs> greatest hits. <laughs> uh anyway. So let's talk about our overall. Yeah, it came out
1: in the '90s. We could review that record.
2: Oh my god, we could, couldn't we? That's right. It's kind of like in the hole. Fire in the hole. Uh, let's talk about our ratings for this record, Jay. Uh, were the album better EP or decent single? This is it's essentially it's eleven song album. The first track is just uh It's not really a a song. It's just a, a thing, an intro. Yeah. yeah. So it's eleven songs. How many would make it onto a release for you?
1: I'm at five, and I think every song on the record could be a minute shorter. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned on um, Silence that has a crescendo that pays off, and all the other ones have a crescendo that's just not not needed it um, mm-hmm. can be ended out. Uh, if for some reason, the formula seems to be like get to the end of the song and then let him do like vocal gymnastics and like a riff for another minute over top of the music. And uh, I'm not quite sure why that decision was made, but uh, you trim trim those five down by a minute. And um, I think it's a pretty solid EP production wise. I think if you could remix it and strip a bunch of stuff out and get down to the essence of the record, I think it'd be a worthy record, but uh, we don't have that version. So as it is, no. it's, it's an EP for me.
2: You think we could pay Rick Rubin to get his hands on this and, <laughs> and do a remix?
1: Oh man, that's—I don't know. You would think at this at this point, with the way that the music business is, that not not getting Rick Rubin to do that, but just getting like old records like this and going back and doing stuff like that, like just doing completely different mixes of them stuff, would be viable, but. Uh, Maybe, maybe someday
2: yeah it would only interest people like us yeah the same people who end up but it wouldn't
1: cost you anything you know what I mean like basically right. you, could, you could somebody could spend a week with this like um, anybody he could he on a computer or something could spend a week with this just come up with a bunch of different mixes and release it digitally wouldn't cost him a penny other than his time to sit down and do it
2: I think his time is actually pretty expensive <laughs> that's the problem I think his time, uh, per per hour, is probably more valuable than my time per year, hmm. is a, is what it comes down to. Unfortunately, but you know that's what the market bears. So, uh, uh, my take is similar to yours. I think I I'm at a five song EP for this record. I don't know if we're at the same five songs. I think we're pretty close based on our conversation. But uh, I think this is a worthy EP. I think that there are some other decent. Tracks on this record that need edits, that need remixes, that need um, a better producer than what was uh, going on back in 1998. So, for both of us, EP, good tracks, uh, muddied up by uh, some bad production choices and some uh, extended jams that weren't necessary out um, of most of the end of the. Yeah, I think the average song length is like 440 on this record. And uh, that's not necessary. There's a lot of songs that could have been trimmed down. So that's our word on uh, hymns by Corey Glover. So uh, if you have an, an album that you would like us to review, please head on over to our request review page, digmeoutpodcast.com, and make a suggestion. Um, and if you like what you heard, consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Uh, Jay, next week, we're going to be reviewing another artist who has a new release coming out. Uh, this one's a little bit different, though. We're going to be reviewing the uh, band Electric and their third album from, I believe, 99, Twisted Tenderness. And that is uh, fe- that, al- that band features Johnny Marr, formerly of the Smiths, who has a new album coming out, new solo record, and Bernard Summer, some Sumner of New Order. They had a they had a super duo back in the uh, 90s. And uh, we're going to take a listen to it. Cool. So it continues the trend of new releases uh, and revisiting uh, old projects, old bands, old releases. So that's it. We're done. We're out. Uh, hopefully, this time next week, by the time we uh, post this episode, uh, the Bills and the Browns will have accumulated one additional win. Uh,
1: Browns aren't a bye week next week, so
2: already, yep. I guess the, the NFL figures by this time most of the players have gotten hurt for the Browns. <laughs> that's they it's, That's the way. That's it, the funny part. That's the way it's been the last like you I know, know. decade everybody's hurt by the first four weeks, so they yeah. throw them a bone, and then this year it doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't know. Brian Hoare could still slip in the shower or something like that. and That's true. That's true.
1: You know. Somebody could get a staff infection again. There's
2: always the old staff infection <laughs> in Bria. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Come dig me out.
0: Words just falling.